Somebody to say this with me. Cherie can preach. Amen. Man, let that lady go. I want to tell you what she was saying up here, man. By the way, you were just preaching my message this morning. Uh, how, how many of you? How many of you believe that you can be in charge of your own destiny? You know, the one thing the devil wants you to think is you're not in charge. That you're a victim. That that your life has been taken and you've been robbed and the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Well, the beautiful thing about the cross and what Jesus has done for us is Jesus not only comes to just save us from sin and save us from hell and get us to heaven, Jesus comes to give you your life back. He comes to, you know the beautiful thing about serving the Lord that's contrary, we're taking our missions offering as they're coming. Thank God for these awesome men of God, our missions, missions. Amen, what the Lord's doing. But you know, the beautiful thing about Jesus, that's really contrary, that really sets Christianity apart from other religions. Other religions tell you what to think. It tells you and makes you think or live certain ways, where Jesus teaches us how to think. Teaches us, and he really gives us our freedom back. The big lie the enemy has tried to convince the world is when you become a Christian, You lose your freedom, you lose your liberty, you lose your identity. That's just the opposite of what Jesus does. He comes to restore liberty. He comes to restore identity. He comes to give you freedom. Amen? And when you are walking in the center of what he created you to be, sons and daughters of the Most High God, there's no greater freedom than that. Amen? A lot of people think they're free is getting to do what they want to do, which only leads them into a, a place of bondage. But uh, this morning, I want, I want to talk about changing your destiny. And I want you to go back with me to First Chronicles, a very simple prayer, and we've all heard of this. How many of you ever heard of the prayer of Jabez? And uh, this is a very, has a very strong New Testament relevance, because we serve a God who is so much bigger than our life, so much bigger than our past, and even our own testimony. And aren't you grateful that Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, who not only rose from the dead, but Jesus Christ has come to just reassure and to empower us. Everyone say, empower us. It's important that you understand that you are not stuck God does not want you to feel like your life is stuck in a rut. There's a lot of people feel that way. In fact, I read a statistic not too long ago that over 66% of Americans, almost two-thirds of Americans believe that somewhere, some way, in their, either their marriage, their finances, they're stuck in a rut. God never intended for you to get stuck. God intended for you to shift gears. God intended for even opposition... To be opportunities, not for you to go down, but for you to rise higher. And it's important for us to have our minds renewed. Amen. Everyone say renewed. Because what the Holy Spirit's doing today, He's raising up a new understanding, a new normal, a a new way of living and seeing through life through a different lens this morning. And I want to read a few things. I want to spend a few minutes this morning on you changing your destiny. Whatever God touches... Whatever he touches, he makes it better, makes it brighter. He gives it increase. He builds it up. How many of you know that your destiny was intended to be glorious? 
Your destiny is to be powerful. I want everyone to say this. I am a powerful person. Well, pastor, that's arrogance. That's pride. No, it's not. Because you're made in the very image of God. And how many of you believe God is powerful? You're powerful in the understanding of His love. You're powerful in freedom. You're powerful in your identity. You have powerful thoughts. You're an aggressive individual. You understand vision and you understand what it is to move to the next level. That's what God has given to us. You're not a victim. You're not small-minded grasshoppers full of fear just waiting for Jesus to come and rapture us out of this big, bad, cruel world. That was the where I was in my own relationship for years. Waiting for the rapture. Well, thank God Jesus is coming, but I believe that Jesus wants... How many of you know Jesus is not coming back until He's coming back for a bride that is glorious without spot or wrinkle? He's coming back for a bride that's going to be ready. Who, a bride who hath made herself ready for a wedding. There's a wedding coming, folks. And are we, is our wedding garments on? Amen. How many of you getting ready for the wedding? That wedding, of course, has to do with the blood of Jesus. That wedding has to do with how we are preparing ourselves, how we are preparing now. Now, not just redemptively, but God wants us as a church to grow up. Everyone say, grow up. How many of you got kids? We'll pray for the rest of you. Amen. Well, how many of you glad your kids grow up? Amen. They're sons and daughters and they're blessed that they're in your image. But God wants the church to grow up. And here's what, well, here's why. Because He wants us to partner with Him ruling and reigning. And one of the ways that He teaches us and helps us to grow in authority, helps us to grow in the understanding of ruling and reigning, and you'll find this consistent in Scripture, any man, any woman God has His hand on, they will go through seasons and a series of tests. They will go through seasons of, of, of where they're facing odds that are greater than themselves. They will be facing problems or troubles or issues or a crisis. God uses those things to develop, to build us, to strengthen us. And where you come out... How many of you know you can never have a victory until you have a battle? You, you can celebrate and sing all about victory all day long. But until you've walked through the battle, you, really, you don't really have the right to... To, to celebrate the victory. But, but God is allowing us to go through seasons and our faith is being tested. And here in this passage, there's a young man here it's in, in, and he's, he's out of the tribe of Judah. And, it, and it's, it's only two verses in the, in the Old Testament of the book of Chronicles, but it, it so speaks to the grace of God and the power and the purpose of what the covenant is all about, what God is saying even today. It says, verse 9, 1 Chronicles 4, verse 9, it says, Now Jabez was more honorable than all of his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I born him in pain. But Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would indeed bless me and enlarge my territory. And that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil. That I might not cause pain. So God granted. Everyone say God granted. God granted what he requested. Let's pray. Father, 
Just in these few minutes, Lord, we just pray as you've been speaking, as you've been anointing us, as you've been just moving in us, Lord, this morning, we just pray that the word of the Lord will have free course. The Lord, it will just bring empowerment and life, even as Jesus has done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, renew us, quicken us, and raise us, Lord, as you're continuing to speak to us. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You know, several years ago, I, uh, I uh, had uh, many actually encounters, but uh, I remember two young ladies that uh, were raised in my grandparents' house. They were foster young ladies that came in. My uh, grandparents had taken them in, and when they came into my grandparents' house, I was introduced to them uh, because we lived very close together. My folks were neighbors with my grandparents in the Columbia River Gorge at the time. But my grandparents, they decided to take in these two foster daughters who had been given up by their mother when they were young. And the girls had come to find out that the mother had given them up because she was a drug addict. And she had chosen a life of drugs rather than raising their daughters, her daughters. In fact, it came so close one day that she almost traded both daughters for a whole slew of drugs, but, in, but she came into her right mind, something stopped her, and she decided to turn her children, she gave her children over child protective agency, which then put them in foster care. The girls stayed together. They finally ended up at my grandparents' house, where, where I, at the time, I was in high school, I got to meet these girls, but both of them were deeply bitter, deeply angry, and hated the whole world. They were in school, but didn't care about their grades. And at that time, by the way, sex offenses and abuse was not on the radar screen like it is today in the news back in the mid to late 60s is when this was happening. But these girls had been just tossed from one house, from one foster care home to the next, like rag dolls. And when they came to my grandparents' house, there was such hardness on their face. I remember my grandmother asking me to come down to meet them. I remember coming into the living room and meeting these two young ladies. Another, and I just introduced myself. One of the girls was my age. The other one was a little older than I was. And as I introduced myself, there was not a word in response. They didn't even respond. They just looked at me. In fact, I found out that they didn't even unpack their suitcases because they felt that they were going to give my grandparents such a hard time that it was a matter of time that they would eventually give up on them and they'd be thrown into another foster care home. That was, the, that was the beginning. But over time, what happened, my granddad, my grandmother, began to just bring such love and, and, and the grace of God on them to just display the sense of patience and grace and faith. And over time, as they begin to empower their vision with an understanding of worth, and value, and, and even though they'd come from the kind of past they had, when my granddad would begin to talk to them about God's love and God's grace, and that even before they were born, God had a place and a purpose in their life, and that even through all that they had worked, walked through, that God can work all things together for good even to them that love God, and even for those who have walked through such difficult situations. It took time. It took a lot of patience. It took a lot of grace. But over time, those girls 
were transformed. I actually saw them transformed. I saw them get saved. I saw them, I, I actually saw the first time Yvette, one of the girls' name was Yvette, I began to see a smile crack on her face. She actually smiled. When I saw her smile, I said, what, what, are, you, what are you happy? It was actually weird to see her smile. And she said, you know, I've, I've come to realize that there's really genuine people in the world that care. And it was with my grandparents. And both of those girls, long story short, both of those girls were so changed and transformed, and both of them became pastors. Both of them married pastors, went to the ministry. One was a, and went up into Walla Walla, Washington. The other one was a pastor's wife on the island of Maui in, in Hawaii. And even to this day, they're serving the Lord and loving God. God can t- How many of you know God can take a Jabez and turn it into a life of victory? In this situation here, what we find in the Old Testament, even though it's an Old Testament story, it's still a powerful picture of God's transforming love. Jabez here, born in a family, and one of the things we, we may not understand as it, is, as it was significant back in Old Testament times, names meant something. They meant quite a bit more. Today we choose names because it sounds cute and cool and, and weird sometimes, and we like to choose names just because they're different and no one else change, uh, call them that. But back in those days, names were chosen that actually t- determined a prophetic destiny. Names were prophetic. It, it actually gave a revelation of the future of the person. In fact, they understood, even in Bible days, they understood the power of their words, the power of names. Names often also gave us insight to the character and the nature of the person who was given the name. The third thing about names that we should understand in the Bible is that names also become a billboard, a lightning rod. It it, it literally became a testimony to other people about who you were, about your wealth, your status. Names had a lot more meaning than just sounding cool. In other words, names literally would either draw people to you or repel people from you. And so when Jabez was given this name, and if you can imagine, given a name Jabez in the Old Testament would be equivalent today as a parent actually identifying you because it had the same kind of a stigma as a sex offender. Can you imagine that? Having a a name like Jabez, and when everybody heard your name or got around you and they heard Jabez, people would just flinch. They would step back. They would repel. They would walk away. They'd say, what did, what happened to you that your mother would call you Pain, grieving, sorrowful. Why would she call you a name that signifies signifies a curse? That's what the name Jabez means. Someone that's cursed, causes grief or trouble. Every time Jabez probably went out to maybe rent a camel, buy a horse, buy something. My name's put my name on the dotted line. Can we really trust your name? Your name means trouble and pain. I mean, there was a stigma. There was a cloud on this young man's life. How many of you know there's a lot of people today that have a stigma on their life? Where they've come from, failures in the past, things they've lived with. 
Uh, today, man, I'll tell you, I don't know if you've watched the news where there's a family on television going through the stigma of, of some kind of a sex offense in the past. It's coming, it's, they had a reality television show and now it's coming back to bite them in a, in a, in a major way. And uh, I'll tell you one thing about the media, they're merciless. They don't give a, a rip about what you, they don't care about the cross and they don't care about the good news and they don't care about what Jesus has done this simply because the God of this world has blinded their eyes. But, but we know that in the gospel, uh, that Jesus has a plan. Amen. It doesn't matter where your past is, where you've come from. How many of you know that He's given us the ministry of reconciliation and He makes all things new? That's the beautiful thing about the gospel. He's the God of the good news. But here we find that, that Jabez, <clears throat> he, uh, he has this name. He's in a relationship. It's a dysfunctional family. He's in a family where he has brothers. He's rejected by his brothers. He's rejected, obviously, by his mother. He's rejected by society. And I'm sure under the kind of a stigma that that would come with this, the influence of just having a mother who identifies you with something painful. I'm sure there there were seasons where he asked God why. God, why was I given this? Why did this happen to come into my life? How, why, why am I deserving of something so horrendous? Probably the isolation, the reaction of other people. And of course, just the influence. The influence of being in an environment that was so abusive, destructive, and rejecting. That, that has, can make a mark on people. By the way, We live in a society today where a lot of people carry rejection. They carry that stigma in their life. They carry the pain of what others may not have called them, but what others might have done to them. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. How many of you know Jesus makes all things new? But here's here's what I want to focus on. I want you to see what Jabez did, because the Bible says here in verse 10, that Jabez called on the God of Israel and said, Oh, that Lord God, you would bless me, you would enlarge my territory, that you would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil. Here is Jabez, and I want you to notice in the prayer of Jabez. As Jabez is praying this prayer, do you know that he is praying everything that God promised to Abraham. He was praying everything that God gave to the children of Israel through covenant. Now this this is what I call the Jabez dilemma. Here's the dilemma. The dilemma is this, is I live with a mother. I live with family who's given me this name that is stuck with me like glue, It has caused people to repel against me. I feel bad about it. I feel rejection and isolation. But yet, when I hear what God says in His Word, and the promises He's made to our forefathers, that He's a God who loves, is a God who makes covenant with His people, He's a God who can make all things new, and He's also a God who can restore dysfunctional people. Jabez begins to make his prayer in verse 9 and 10. Because the dilemma is this. 
My mom and my dad have put some trashy junk in my life, but for some reason, based on what I'm reading through the Pentateuch, because let me tell you, there wasn't an Old Testament Jew or Hebrew back in the Old Testament that didn't have the book of the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible. That meant that Jabez had to have read the story about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And guess what? I think the thing that gave Jabez hope was when he read the story about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it was one of the best soap operas. By the way, Hollywood would have had a heyday with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they're the most dysfunctional, the most crazy families in the Bible, and yet God uses them as the example of those whose faith we should follow. How many of you know that gives us a lot of hope for those of us who are dysfunctional? I mean, in Abraham's life, you've got a coward of a leader. You've got a man who tries to pawn his wife off and to sell her in as a sister in Egypt when they're in a famine. Abraham is full of fear. He questions God in Genesis 17 when he says, What will you give me, God? Since I go childless, he's complaining. He's full of fear. God says, I want you to come out. I want you to look into the skies and count the stars. God begins to deal with his small-minded thinking. I believe Jabez, as he's reading the story of Abraham, and he's reading the story about Isaac and Rebekah, what a broken, dysfunctional marriage that was. Man, you have some manipulation going on behind the scenes. When Isaac is getting older, Rebekah begins to take her younger son to manipulate behind her husband's back, teaches Jacob how to lie, teaches how to deceive, and teaches how teaches uh, his, her young son how to rip her brother off and steal a birthright. Wow, that's a great example. We were all quiet here this morning. You would think, wow, God, that, that's actually in the Bible? Yeah. You have a wife who behind her husband's back teaches her son how to steal a lie, and then her older son gets so infuriated that he tries to kill his brother, but her mother sends him off to their uncle up north to Laban's house so that he can, he, he won't, his life will be spared. And so you, you got the story of Isaac and Rebekah. Then you got Jacob. Then Jacob, this surplanter, this deceiver, this liar. <clears throat> By the way, isn't this amazing that these are the, this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? We're, we're talking about the three families that God chooses to set up as an example for all of us to read about. Amen. How many of you know that gives us a lot of hope? Anybody out there getting a little, a little bit of hope out there? Praise God. Because you probably always thought that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were these perfect little Christian families. They weren't perfect little Christian families. Jacob had a problem. He had a problem with lying and cheating and swindling and running. In fact, when God even gave him the dream, remember the dream? Uh, when God gave him the dream of the ladders going up and the angels coming up? At the end of the dream, he says... Jacob is so astonished by the presence of God in the place. He says, wow, this, this place is really amazing. God is in this place. And he called it Bethel, the house of God. And right after he calls it the house of God, he tries to make a deal with God. How many of you know you never make deals with God? He says, God, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. 
<laughs> if you do this for me, God, then I'll do that for you. You know, it's amazing. God, in his grace and mercy, lets Jacob just go on and on. But God says, you know, Jacob, I'm going to allow you to go on this trip for about 20 years. But when you come back, you're going to be a different man. Aren't you grateful that God understands our ending from our beginning? And, you know, we might start off in this journey kind of rugged and ragged and things aren't going so well. But I'm so thankful that God helps in writing the last chapter of our life, and he doesn't give up on us. For he which began a good work will be faithful to complete it. So Jabez, he's in a dilemma. He's reading these Old Testament stories, and he's finding that God actually promises blessings to people who got real sin problems. They really have dysfunction in their life. They're dysfunctional, broken marriages. What I'm saying this to you folks at New Life is because God wants this house to be a, a, a place where people can find hope. But it's the truth. It is the truth in this passage that is so important. Jabez reconciles. And one of the four things I want you to write down, four things that Jabez does First of all, Jabez is a man of prayer. He calls out on God. How many of you know he didn't go to the psychiatrist or the psychologist? He wasn't popping pills or booze. He wasn't medicating. The Bible says he called out on God. Jabez knew where to go when he was in trouble. The second thing Jabez did is Jabez chose to believe the truth and renounce the lie. Somewhere along in his own personal, emotional, and mental journey, in all of us, if we're ever going to rise above our past, we've got to choose the truth, and we've got to renounce, and we've got to bring every thought and bring every lie down and put God's word against where I've come from and say, let God be the winner. Amen? We've got to let that happen. Jabez here recognized that even though his mother... In his family, amen, he'd been in that dysfunctional. Jabez was a man who was making some choices. Number three, Jabez chose to focus on the solution rather than dwell on the problem and stew in the bitterness. In other words, he learned to let go. He learned not to allow. Notice what it says here about Jabez in verse 9. By the way, it wasn't just the writer of Chronicles. I believe it was the, it was the word of the Holy Spirit because it says that Jabez was more honorable than all of his brothers. You will find that in the Bible, when you study the word honor and honorable, you will find that there are certain characteristics that are connected with men or women of honor. And one of them is that they choose to forgive their enemy. Joseph was a man who chose to forgive his brothers rather than hang on on to the hatred and hang on to the the resentment and remind and remember the past. So many people rehearse the past. They remember what others have done. I believe that Jabez forgave his mother. He chose the high road instead of the low road. I believe being that fact, the Bible says he was more honorable, meant that he did not allow the problem to make him a victim. 
victim. He chose to rise above it and say, I'm going to be bigger than this. I'm going to be bigger than this. I'm going to allow the Lord to have his way in my life. I love what it says here that God granted his request. God granted his request. It's Jabez realized that I can take the, my destiny back. I don't have to allow these things to hold me bound any longer. He chose, I believe, to forgive his mother. I believe this guy chose to forgive his family. Because you'll find when it comes to honor, people that are honorable are people that do the right thing, not necessarily for all the the reasons that they may feel good about it, but they do the right thing. And you'll find that as they begin to do the right thing, the Bible says that he's honored among his brothers. That meant that he was giving out grace. He was, he was dispensing friendship and love and he was dispensing grace. He wasn't holding these things against him. I believe that Jabez understood a principle with, about greatness. That if you're going to really understand, if you're going to walk in the favor of God, if you're going to walk in the, the wisdom and the blessing of God, this is what he prays. He says, Lord, do not allow evil to take over my life. He said, deliver me from evil. Keep me from evil. Amen. One of the things that we have to do is we have to reconcile. We have to choose God's word. We have to stand on his promise. We have to believe that things are working together for good. Can you say amen? The last thing here, the number four thing, is that Jabez maintained a faith attitude. Here's what he did. The only way you can maintain a good attitude during difficult times is when God becomes greater and bigger than the problem. You see, one of the reasons why people's attitude goes south is when they exalt the problem bigger than God. When you have a small God, guess what? you got a bad attitude. But when you have a big God, you have a great attitude. And his attitude was this. Lord, I want you to bless me. I want you to prosper me. Lord, I want you to use me. I want you to keep me from evil. And what did it say? God granted his request. This guy was a man of faith. He chose not to allow the past to haunt him, to hold him hostage. He chose to believe that God is good. And even when dysfunction breaks down, even when family turns against you, and even when people call you a bad name, God can still use what the animal meant for evil, turn it around, bring you through, bring you out on top, and cause you to be honorable, even among those who are your enemies. The Bible says that when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Amen? You see, let me tell you, folks, what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. The gospel of Jesus Christ is just bigger, it's bigger than just your sins being forgiven. Bigger than just us going to heaven. The gospel needs to be translated in our life. That when we're coming through some dysfunction and difficult times, you choose. You have a choice. Everyone say, I have a choice. See, the devil wants to make people think, I don't have a choice. That's why people quit. That's why people burn out. That's why people give up. Is because they feel, I don't have a choice. I'm backed against the wall. Let me tell you right now, Jabez chose not to be backed up against the wall. He chose to believe, you know what, God 
is a God who knows how to make all things work together for good. I love the scripture Nathan read this morning that he's the God of all flesh. Is there not anything too hard for me? Amen. Let's stand to our feet, shall we? Stand to our feet this morning. I believe the anointing is here. I believe there's an anointing here this morning that God is going to break. He's going to break some things off of our lives. Some of us this morning, amen, have been on a charted course. Your destiny has been, and I'm going to say it, some of us have been dwelling in the land of self-pity too long. God wants you to rise out of that self-pity. How many of you know self-pity is the devil's playground? He loves you to feel sorry for yourself. That's what the devil loves. The devil loves that. Poor me, you don't know what I've gone through. The devil is the one who feeds those thoughts. But when a Jabez rises up and he begins to say, you know what? God wants to bless me. God wants to bring some greatness in my life. God wants to do some awesome things. God will keep me from evil. God wants to make your life honorable. And he's done that through Jesus Christ. But here's what, here's what it takes. Number one, three things. Number one, it takes the power of a renewed mind. Everyone say renewed mind. I got to renew my mind with the promises of God's word. Number two, I need to have an established identity. Everyone say identity. You're not a loser. You're not a victim. You're blessed, highly favored, seated with Christ in heavenly places. And with Christ, you can do all things. You see, you've got to have an identity as a son. You need to have that orphan spirit broken off of you. You're not a fatherless child. You are the son, you're the daughter of the Most High. And because of that, our God is going to keep you all the way through it. And when you come through this and come out on the other end, you're going to say like Joseph said, what they meant for evil, God meant for good. Let me tell you something. To the depths that you've gone down will be the high that you will soar. It's everything we walk through to teach us to rule and reign in Him and with Him. The last thing is this, is that God wants to touch our mouth. Do you know that the way God changes your thoughts is when you begin to confess His Word? You see, a lot of people don't read their Bible with their speak. They don't speak, they don't talk, they don't worship with their mouth. They just think, and they think, well, I'm just thinking it. In the Bible, the Bible, the word uses meditation. The word meditate means to mutter, to mutter, to utter. Do you know the way God changes your mind is when you confess the words. When you confess God's word, the word enters into your ear and transforms your mind. Your mouth is more powerful than your mind. That's why we confess with our heart the Word of God. It has the power to change destiny. Your mouth. You know one thing I, uh, my wife did when I was a young married guy with my wife, because I was a defeated man. My wife kept saying, Carol, she said, Ray, ah, you're a man of God. You're a winner, Ray. I'd say, I'd look at it and say, what are you talking about? That's not, that's, not, that's not reality. 
I have lost. I lost my temper. I'm wrong. No, Ray. God's grace is greater than your sin, your problem. You're a mighty man of God. And I just thought, well, what are you doing? What are you stroking my ego like that? I thought she was stroking my ego. And the, the Lord was just, or the devil was just telling me, yeah, she's just stroking your ego. She really wants something. She probably wants a new credit card or something. You know, I, yeah, and that was not Carol's motive at all. Carol was confessing the word of God. She was saying things was going contrary to my thinking. I want to tell you, there was a battle going on. Jabez, oh, I wanted to set back on my laurels and say, I am a loser. Oh, I just, I wanted to waller in that pity. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to separate myself from the church. I wanted to run from people. I wanted to just hibernate in my little hole and say, poor me. And God said, go ahead. If you want to go and do that and feel isolated and depressed and feel bad. When, when you want to come out into the light and come into God's grace and come into favor and blessing, I'm, I'm here waiting for you, Ray. Finally, I come to, to the realization that I've been living and listening to a lie. How many of you know that change is not easy? You have to renounce some things. You need to have a renewed identity. You need to know God's promises with a renewed mind. And you need to put your mouth in gear and in alignment with what he says. Amen? That's the gospel. The gospel is good news. The gospel gives us a powerful positive. Amen? Close your eyes. Maybe this morning you may say, Pastor Ray, I believe God wants to break some things off my life. I believe that the devil has held me hostage in things. Maybe, maybe you weren't given a bad name, but maybe there were some things that have happened in your life. You felt rejected. Maybe you felt like you failed in things. And this morning, I feel like the Lord is saying, I'm going to break that area. I'm going to break those issues in your life. I want to, I want to, to captivate anything, that any lie the enemy is, is, is put in your mind that has become a stronghold that has held you. And I want you to be set free by the power of the Word through the anointing of the Holy Spirit this morning. If that's you this morning, if there's been some lie in your mind, something that is you feel holding you back, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you right now. Okay, I see your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, I see those stands. Praise God. Thank you for just being honest. Anyone else? Amen. I know the Lord wants me to come higher. I know the Lord has some amazing things ahead for me. Raise your hand this morning. You may say, Pastor, okay, I see their hands. I see your hands. Amen. If you'd like to make your way down front, I want to pray with you. In Jesus' name, I want to pray with you. Don't forget about it. Amen. This is a time where we're Amen. We're confronting some issues in our life. We're seeing the the, the, the Lord set the captive free. Amen. How many of you love God this morning? Amen. He's a good God. He's faithful. There's nothing to be afraid of this morning. How many of you believe that whom the sun sets free is free indeed? Amen. Praise God. Okay. Claire has a word she's going to share here. Feel free to come down, folks. And let's pray this morning. Um, I have a confession to make. And I believe that my confession is meant to be an exhortation to some of you out there. Thank you, Lord. Um, I have struggled with my faith. I was raised in a Catholic home where you had to earn God's favor. Wow. You had to do things to get God's blessing in your mm. life. And if you were good enough, he just might. 
he might come down and touch her life and wow. fix this or fix that. And that is something that I have struggled with as a parent and raising my children to have faith that I knew the Bible said we should have, and I didn't have it. But I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with your level of faith, don't let that stop you from yeah. speaking the words right. to your children that you know are true. Wow. Even if you're struggling, don't let that hold them back. Because I have struggled with that as a parent. Wow. And I have pointed to the word and I've said, look, kids, here's what God says is true. Mm -hmm. And I have spoken it to them, even though I struggled with it myself. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to speak it because the Bible says it. And I know that God is real and I know that he's good. And I'm just going to say it anyway. And I'm not going to let my struggles hold my kids back. Oh, wow. And that's why wow. they can stand up here today, not because of something that I had in faith level in me, but because of my choice to not let my struggles hold them back. Yeah. And I spoke the words of truth to them. And I held on to every little testimony I could give them. If it was how I met James, if it was how God provided food on our table Excellent. when we didn't have money, whatever Excellent. I could grab onto wow. that I said, God is in this, mm. look, kids, then I used every little thing I could. And I spoke it to them and I said, look, God is good. Yeah. And he's good here, too, because the Bible says so, even though that's something I was struggling in. Yeah. And I want to encourage you, just as the theme of today, speak the words in faith, even if you're struggling with it. Say it. Tell your kids God is good. Here's a little example of where he's good. Wherever you can find that yeah. faith in yourself, hold it up to them and say, look, here's where God is good. And then point to things that the Bible says. God is good here. God is good there. And they will grow beyond anything you can imagine or anything you have inside of yourself. Wow. You know, what she, what she is saying here is so important. And I think there's some parents here. We, we need to just pray and lay hands and bring an impartation of grace. You know what the devil does? The devil holds parents hostage to a past and makes you feel so unworthy that you don't have the right or the uh, ability to speak into your children. That's a lie from the enemy. You have the authority of heaven behind you. By the way, all of us as parents have failed. All of us have done things wrong. But you know why God allows us to fail? Because we learn to convey the grace of God to our children when we fail. So when they fail, they see grace. God never gave children perfect parents for a reason. You're not perfect for a reason. Now, that's not, I'm, I'm not saying that as a license to be sinful and lazy and, and sloppy. Not at all. But when we are weak, His grace is made perfect. And I can convey that grace to my kids. I don't, I don't keep junk from my kids. I've told my sons my blunders. They see it, and I take ownership. I own my mistakes. They know it. And you know what? It's imparted grace to them so they don't have to make the same dumb mistakes. If you need, as a parent, if you need prayer, I don't want Claire to stay here. I think just to lay hands, I think there's something here that we need to acknowledge. You come down and be prayed for. Amen? 
just just let's wait just a, a minute or two more. Could, could we turn the music up a little higher here? And amen. Just just feel free to come down if you'd like to be ministered to this morning. Prayer. Amen. In fact, I want you to feel free to come. I want everyone else to take each other by the hand, can you? I want us to pray as a church family. I believe the weeks and months ahead, the Lord is empowering us as a church to really step into a fresh new understanding of His mercy and His covenant blessing. Father, we thank you today for the anointing and the presence of the Lord among us today. Lord, you've come and you're renewing our sense of value and identity in Christ. It's not by our effort or works, but Lord, it's because of your grace and your loving kindness. Lord, for if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you. Lord, help us, Lord, to receive forgiveness so we can in turn give 